Hello there, listeners. Thank you for tuning in to Rec Play Live. Every so often, we come across somebody that is very influential to the RT profession. Today, we have none other than Danny Petri. So, Danny, uh, let me go ahead and ask you, uh, how long have you been a rec therapist? I discovered rec therapy in 1999. So I consider myself to be a rec therapist since then. I got my first position in 2002, and then I became a CTRS in 2003. So I've been working in the field for um, over 16 years now. So you said you discovered it in 91? Uh, 1999. Oh, 99. Sorry. Uh, how did you discover it? My parents wanted me to be a nurse, and the, my local school... The local college required me to do um, a week of volunteer work. And nursing are great people. But on the second day, I heard laughter coming from this back room. And that's where the recreation therapies were going on. They had um, humor therapy, relaxation groups. People were um, doing gardening in their wheelchairs. They had um, cognitive challenging groups. And I just knew I had to get involved. Oh, wow. Very interesting. Just on a side note. So I, I was introduced through a... I was uh, early in my college career, I was going through a class that showed me different professions and careers. And I had one professor come and talk to us and really talked about recreation and recreation therapy. That's really how I got involved. Yeah, it's, a, it's very much a, a discovery profession. Most people who I've met share that there's some story where they discovered it, they, just like you. Yeah, it's uh, interesting how it comes across, but once you're in it, you end up seeing what it all is and all the benefits it could provide. So uh, as an RT, what population have you been working with? I've only had one position. When I got out of college, I was hired and I primarily provide services for children ages 7 to 12. And they are in a residential psychiatric treatment facility for abuse reactive needs. All the children in our program, they've either been sexually abused or emotionally abused, physically abused, severe, severe neglect, and such things as outpatient therapy or acute care stays has not been effective. So they've been put into residential treatment for about a six-month period. So that's my main population who I provide services for. Is that, oh, sorry, I was going to ask, is that the residential, is that more considered community? No, it's a it's a psychiatric facility. It, it's okay. housed actually in a hospital. However, we do a lot of community projects as well. Hmm. I assist on two other residential programs too. They have a dual diagnosis for males and females ages uh, 12 to 17 who have some type of chemical dependency or substance abuse as well as mental health needs. And then I also assist some with a residential unit that provides services for adolescent males with sex offender issues their ages between 13 and 17 as well well so i also actually work in the psychiatric field as well i work in an inpatient okay uh, uh, primarily uh, well, i used to work in uh, intermediate care but now i'm in acute care and that's kind of where i've been in the last uh, three years okay yeah that's really the um, emergency room for mental health needs Mm-hmm. It definitely is. I understand you receive people who have some very high 
intense mental health needs. Yes. What have been uh, your favorite types of interventions for the clients and why? Oh, wow. There's so many. Personally, I love to do group sessions. Uh, Our children, they lack ability to regulate their emotions. So I teach a lot of skills on how to, a lot of our children lack social skills. So I teach the group title is interpersonal effectiveness skills training. However, if you're working with a seven-year-old, they're not going to understand that. So I teach it. I call it to them. I describe it as people skills or friendship skills. And again, you can do a lot of that through board games or even gym activities where I use like a sandwich approach where in the beginning of the session for five or 10 minutes, a brief lecture on the skills we're going to do. Then we'll do an activity and then we'll wrap up how you use the skills, whether it being friendship or getting along or taking turns, things like that. Do you feel that using that sandwich approach has been highly effective? I hope so. And we do a lot of repetitive activities as well, where our children are in the program for, you know, six months to a year, just completely, um, you know, going over the same skills. Of course, we do community outings as well. In the summer, we take our kids usually to a trip to um, someplace like Cincinnati Zoo or a youth museum and things like that. And for our kids who have not had those experiences, it's it's just really wonderful for them to get out and and practice the skills they've learned in treatment out in the community. Yeah, definitely. I, I could see how in practicing through repetition, it's getting that to really bond so that they're able to practice the skills whenever it's needed. And there's a lot of um, activity group interventions. I just really like a lot of them. We do a lot of expressive arts. We do um, intellectual activities. One thing with children who have been abused, if they've experienced a traumatic event, the frontal lobe of the brain is often damaged, and that does a lot of thinking skills. So we do thinking skills to help build that part of the brain, such as things like Simon Says or Red Light, Green Light, to get them to stop and think. Uh, Yeah, we do expressive activities. There's some healing in letting out your thoughts and feelings opposed to holding it in. It's kind of disgusting, but it's kind of like called an emotional bowel movement where you kind of, you know, (laughs) release thoughts and feelings instead of keeping them clogged up in your head. Are you, uh, a lot of the interventions that you're using, are you modifying the activities? Are you also, because I found, uh, certain games that already are geared towards, let's say, like anger management, or are you modifying things like Scrabble or any other activity? I would say a mix of both. Yeah, we definitely use some games. For example, if you use Candyland with different colors, you could have different things for the kids to do. We created a life-size Candyland in our ballroom once, which was really fun. You know, if they landed on certain colors, they had to you know, practice certain coping skills that we had. And then, of course, we have some games that are just from curriculums about, you know, just anger management games. Our kids are very, um, I don't know how to describe it nicely, but they're highly aggressive. They um, they destroy property. They're verbally aggressive. They're physically aggressive. They assault people, spit on people. I'm able to cope with it because I know where the children are coming from. I know they've You know, they've had a traumatic event. They're young. People often understand maybe a soldier coming back from war with PTSD. But when you've got a seven-year-old, a lot of people can't understand that that a seven- or eight-year-old has experienced something traumatic like a soldier. So I'm 
able to deal with it a little better. But some people, they're really not cut out to work in that kind of a setting. It's kind of tough on them. Do you feel you're often having to help out coworkers as well when they're as far as coping since you're able to deal with it pretty well? Yes, uh, I provide a lot of the staff trainings at our facility. That's one reason I kind of got into providing trainings for rec therapists, uh, such as self-care trainings and how to lead groups and uh, positive talk, positive self-talk. Oh, wow. Are you the only rec therapist there? Let's see. We I'm not the only. We have quite a bit. And to be honest, I should know the number. <laughs> I don't know the number. I'd say we have maybe 12 to 15 around that number. Oh, that's a pretty good number, actually. Yeah, we have a really big hospital. I, I told you about the units that I work on, but we also have a lot of other programs. And sometimes I just, I never step foot into those programs. Uh, we, we have geriatrics, adult care. Uh, Ranging through the whole lifespan? Yeah, definitely. The youngest what? I've seen is a four-year-old in acute care. I'm not sure what you can do much with a four-year-old. Wow, that's really young. Yeah, a lot of a lot of the approaches are working with the family. Mm -hmm. They're trying to also uh, inform the families as well. Uh, and I think you have a, a slightly different approach. Uh, I, I primarily am working with incarcerated males, so family contact isn't really too much uh, on what we're working with. I was just going to ask a question. Have yes. you ever had other people say things about you providing therapy and to habilitate and to help people. Have you ever heard those comments like, you know, they don't deserve this? I, all the time. Sometimes I hear that with the children who I work with too, but I, I believe all children are born good. It's just a pet peeve I have when I hear those kind of comments, but I was just wondering if you've heard that. Yes. Uh, it, all too often I, I, I do hear that and I have to explain how it's not necessarily just what you're seeing. There's more that goes to it. This is it's purposeful interactions working towards a goal, whether it's a social skill or a coping skill. But you, a lot of the things that you were already describing are, you know, it's it's going to work about the same across the different uh, populations with slight modifications. Yes. Just curious, what ages? I I have all of adults. And I, it ranges from 18 to, I don't know, the oldest that I've had. Okay, that's what I thought. So you, you were talking a little bit about what already your, what motiv your motivation was. Was there anything that, as far as starting the, the trainings for RTs, is there anything that really pushed you that you said, I think this would be great to also do for the RTs? When I first started online with continuing education programs. I'm not sure how the idea came from me, but there's a several ideas. Uh, one of my mentors, Charlie Dixon, he operates recreationtherapy.com, the TR directory. Oh, and okay. I had created some eBooks or, or first I started creating um, curriculum to teach children things. And Charlie told me, you know, do eBooks. And then Charlie told me, you know, try to find something that's not offered at my website and offer that. Charlie's also from uh, my home state of West Virginia. And one thing that was not listed there was continuing education, like self-study programs. Of course, he had ACTRA. Mm -hmm. So my program was really innovative in being one of the first online programs designed for rec therapists. 
I had also completed a master's degree through Indiana University, and they had a distance education program. Mm-hmm. Now, this was a while back, and they sent um, VHS cassettes in the in the mail. <laughs> <laughs> now you can watch that uh, live on the internet. You know, you can watch a video and answer with the class. Uh, I won't tell any shortcuts that, you know, when they're doing an assignment about fast forwarding or anything. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> but that, that was one of the things that kind of encouraged me, too. I was thinking, you know, there's not a self-study program for rec therapists. And I created that. And I would say a lot of the newer programs, too, have modeled my program in ways such as um, similar uh, titles or similar um, course hours and things. Yeah, well, so this was in what year that you began with the idea? This was um, in 2006. Okay, 2006. So you're on your 12th year, going on 13th? Yeah, about 12. Well, that's a long time. So I guess... Uh, you would consider yourself an entrepreneur, correct? Well, not really. I, I consider myself to be a practitioner. That's okay. really where my heart and soul is, is being a therapist, a, a healer. I have a theory, too, that I, I would like to recommend for all rec therapists to consider yourself as an entrepreneur, to consider yourself as an like as an individual contracted person for your facility or agency. Even though we are employees for agencies, I really like the concept of like when I go into work, even though I work you know, for a hospital, I don't consider myself an employee as a practitioner. I consider myself as an, more of an independent contractor, and I consider my name as my own name brand. And I would like to suggest that for other rec therapists to consider the same kind of thought process that your name is a name brand, and really you're an independent contractor. and you're really your own entrepreneur and you can go places in life if that makes any no, sense. I, I think I get where you're coming from because when you are treating it that way, you're taking ownership. And when you take ownership, then your your perspective starts to shift a little bit than if you're just another person at a place. Is that where you're coming from? Yeah, definitely. Okay. I just wanted to make sure I wasn't misinterpreting what you said. However, you also call me an entrepreneur, and yes, I own my um, online CEE program and uh, newsletter, Rec Therapy Today. I, I still don't consider myself to be an entrepreneur, I, although by definition, that's what it would be. We're all individual entrepreneurs in, in our field, or any really field. And I was going to add, I really believe Rec Therapists are one of the best suited people to start a business because we're trained in the Rec Therapy process that consists of you know, assess the situation, plan the interventions, intervene, do it, and then evaluate. That's really a perfect model for any business. Yeah, you're right. The API model, right? Yes. I'm thinking you could take a whole nother field that's not rec therapy, and I drink coffee, so I just use coffee, for example, and say, you know, you could assess the situation. Is there a need for coffee in a certain area? You could plan to open up a coffee shop, then do the intervention, open it up and evaluate, is it successful? Of course, I'm no Starbucks. <laughs> <laughs> and and that's, I, I worked in a restaurant for many years before I became a rec therapist. I worked at Chick-fil-A for about four and a half years, almost five years. And I know restaurant business is just not my heart and soul. However, you know, 
the skills that we develop as a rec therapist are just so valuable in the business world. You are correct on that. And on top of that, there's one added thing that I would say rec therapists have, and it's the creativity. Oh, yes, definitely. I've noticed that other people, I didn't know, actually, I initially didn't notice that there was somewhat of a lack of creativity until I ended up seeing myself stacked up against others where the creativity, they were blocking themselves almost on purpose while I was just letting it go and being as creative as I could. I like that approach. So you did mention about the website that you have and the CEUs and the newsletter that you have, and you also stay in contact with fellow RTs, but how do you find all the time to do everything? Well, one thing, I consider my newsletter as a hobby. I understand that other people have different hobbies, but for me, it's just something I enjoy working on, and I enjoy working on my websites and those kind of things. I will share a little secret, though, for um, entrepreneurship. I think it's by Timothy Ferris. Have you heard of that book? Uh, I love that book. I read it. Okay. And um, I've read it a while back, and I can't remember anything really from the book except one thing, and it's something like hire an assistant. Mm-hmm. And at first I thought, well, you know, when I was younger, I thought, well, that's crazy. Why do you want to pay somebody? And this isn't the exact example from the book, but he, let's imagine that if you have an, an opportunity to do a business project to maybe present to a large organization to maybe a thousand people. And they say, we're going to charge you a thousand dollars or we're going to pay you a thousand dollars to come and speak. And let's imagine you have to mow your grass that night. Well, if you could pay a teenager down the road $50 to mow the grass and water the plants and clean up and then go and do the big project, in that way, it made sense. I was like, well, that does make sense. So although with my business, it might look like I'm a one-person show, behind the scenes, there are a lot of people who are helping out with things, uh, different things, logo design and uh, emails and let's see, uh, mailing out things to people. So there's a, a lot of um, helpers. Are On the videos, are you doing all the work on that? Or is that also with a little bit of help? If, I, if you don't mind answering. With my webinars, it's me doing the speaking. However, um, there's a special report that comes along with them. So I have an assistant who really types up what I say and puts it into a Word document. I usually change it into a PDF file and and go through and change a few things. So just little things like that. Of course, I could type up my own report, but to save time, if you got some people who can help, I say, yeah, go ahead and, and, and get help with things. Maybe it was Einstein who said it, you know, um, if education was equal, it wouldn't do any good to teach a fish how to climb a tree. So I like to spend my time in my business doing the things that I feel like I excel at most of the time, such as I enjoy presenting and providing trainings. And then some of the things that I don't do as well, I like to hire people to help out with, such as um, maybe setting up the automation for getting the webinar set up, those kind of things. I don't like the technical part of doing those things. I just like the presenting. Okay, that actually that's a very great tip for... Any uh, RT out there that's aspiring to 
be a presence on online or to uh, grow their business to hire an assistant? I, I think so. If if it's financially feasible, and at first, in my first several years of doing my business, I'd call it bootstrapping, where I did everything and I didn't put out any expenses. I kept all my expenses really low. But as things started to grow over time, and let's say if I do a webinar and sometimes I mail out the certificates, and if I've got 500 certificates to mail out, that, that takes a lot of time. Even mm-hmm. if I'm emailing them, I've done some automation where uh, you know I'm creating a program where people can just go in and and automatically get their certificate. I don't care much to sit down and and do those things as much, but that's not my real passion. But what I am getting to, an assistant could help at the right time. So with uh, every endeavor, there's bound to be some kind of struggles. So what are some that you have encountered? I will share. Most of my struggles were in the beginning. My education and training is in, in rec therapy, and I didn't have any business training and I didn't know the basic things of how to get a business license or how to get insurance or what to do. And I, I really just didn't know. I went to um, our county uh, courthouse and asked about getting a license to do a business. And, and they were like, well, we don't do we don't. They, they said something totally off the wall. They're like, we don't allow um door to door salesmen. And I was like, well, that's really not what I'm going to do. And they didn't help me. And luckily. It's kind of interesting when you have an idea, the universe kind of gives you answers. Shortly after that, I saw in the newspaper an ad, it was like a free one hour business training. And I was like, whoa, that's exactly what I need. So I went to this place called Unlimited Future and pretty much they're teaching you what to do to get a business loan, that you had to do certain things. And they taught me how to get a license and things. I didn't get the business loan. Again, at the beginning, I did bootstrapping. I did not want to you know, they wanted people to take out little loans. It could be a $3,000 or 5000 I didn't. But in that process, my struggles, they, they helped me. They showed me exactly where to get a license, which was, you know, contacting in our state, the Secretary of State, and, and doing that online and how to pay taxes and those things. I wanted to do everything legally and ethically. So that was my biggest challenge. Then my next challenge came along was educating rec therapist that online and self-study courses was an option when I first started out there weren't any competitors in that line of course NCTRC in their brochures announced and educated or advertised that rec therapists could do online trainings or self-study trainings they said that however they said just google continuing education and there wasn't anyone designed just for rec therapists so th- my second struggle was teaching people that this is an option that you can do this. You can do this. I, I think you the the first one that probably will resonate with a lot of new RTs that are starting off, especially the ones that aren't working for a particular organization, but they're working for themselves, where they're trying to figure out the pathways and trying to make sure that they're doing everything, like you said, the right way. Yeah. Well, on the flip side, though, what are the successes that you think you've had? I've built a very nice network of connections with rec therapists. I will share that NCTRC claims they have between 15,000 and 17,000 CTRS. And my newsletter, I have, um, my Facebook page has about 20,000 people. And my newsletters combined, I've got two different ones. You know, they're over 20,000. So 
I have almost a connection with almost every CTRS except the newer ones graduating, mm-hmm. which I think that's a pretty big success. That um, I started out with. I don't know if you remember MySpace for Rec there or MySpace.com. <laughs> MySpace, yes. I started out with um, uh, MySpace for Rec therapist, and you know, of course, you know, it reached close to maybe nine thousand Rec therapists. I thought, man, this is great. I've got the biggest connection. And this is a good tip, too, for people. I'm going to say don't put all your business in one area. My MySpace page, I'm not trying to brag, but it was really nice. And I had a MySpace blog, and I put out an entry like every day. And then when MySpace changed, I lost all that. I lost all the networking and all the um, the blog entries and the past emails that I had with people. So I, I don't put much face in Facebook either. One day it might just disappear. It might not. So... <laughs> One of my business tips is definitely have more than one. Uh, keep your own records, keep your own email list and connections, if that's advice. But other successes, um, my program, we've had thousands of people complete courses. I offer some free courses just to sign up for my newsletter. I offer one free course. And then in 2018, the American Therapeutic Recreation Association, they awarded me with the uh, Certificate of Recognition in Rec Therapy, which I thought that was fairly prestigious. I thought that was really nice. Was that the first uh, award they'd given you? Uh, previously, I'd won the Peg Conley Scholarship Award. It's named in, off in, it's named in honor of Dr. Peg Conley, who was the first president of the American Therapeutic Recreation Association. She was previously the executive director at NCTRC as well. And it was for students. I was a graduate student. Well, those are some really good and some really great successes that you've had already. I would encourage any student to apply for the Peg Conley Scholarship. I'm going to say you don't have to be the smartest to be successful. What I think to be successful is definitely be the most persistent. With the Peg Conley Scholarship, I applied three times twice in undergraduate school, both times I didn't get it. But then I applied a third time in graduate school and, and I got it. And I don't feel like I did anything really different. So I think sometimes is um, don't give up too early, but you know, just keep at it, keep persistent at whatever your hopes, wishes, and dreams are. Did you start the website and the CEUs? Did you all start that before you went into the master's? I, I started the CEUs after my master's degree. And I started the newsletter before while I was in graduate school. I'd say that was probably around 2003-ish. Okay. So would you say that the master's program helped kind of groom you into being able to provide better CEUs? I thought so. One thing I'd considered doing was I wanted to teach at a college level, and our local college closed their um, – rec therapy degree program the same year I graduated with my master's degree. And I I thought, man, I could really help in this, in our local area. And then once that opportunity was gone, that's kind of another reason I thought about doing the online trainings. I thought that doesn't have to stop me. I can still do this. Yeah, you are correct on that. And also how you have your own domain and your own website. So you're controlling what how it's being controlled essentially. So you don't have to rely, like you said earlier on MySpace or Facebook who can shut down their doors at any time. Yeah. That's another thing too. Yeah. When, when MySpace went under, I really lost a lot and that was very depressing, but um, it's all right. Things happen. 
just because something happened, you know, you can rebuild and grow again. Yeah, and I think for you, it was, it, you know, it may have come down, but when you rebuilt, you came out stronger. Yeah, I had more, exp- and I was more prepared because I knew from last time what happened. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I started my newsletter just out of, just out of a hobby, and it started through the MySpace for Rec Therapist. Yeah, I, I've I've had a chance to look at your your newsletters, and they're very informative, and it. I like also how you're doing, you're highlighting rec therapists and they're getting uh, a little bit of FaceTime essentially out in the RT community. Yeah, I think so. And I really like what you're doing with these interviews. Of course, I can help connect you with rec therapists if you're interested, you know, no pressure. But if you want, I can help you find people. I think actually that'd be really great. I know uh, we did uh, a few podcasts earlier on. We took a little break and you know, we're back and we're ready to keep going. And I think being able to pick as many brains as we can, that would really help out the whole community as a whole and exposure. And, uh, you know, I'm not trying to self-promote, but you know, we're already on on a few of the different uh, uh, podcasts like iTunes. I believe we also went on Google Play. So we're we're just trying to get out there and we're trying to advocate for the field. And I think that's a really important thing. For each one of us to do. Yeah, I think so. All of us working together. I will also share with like my online program. Of course, I am not the um, the one person who knows everything. In fact, my knowledge is very limited. My, my knowledge is mostly in psychiatric, mental health, more so pediatrics and teenagers, juveniles. And that's really my focus area. Although they say a CTRS is a CTRS is a CTRS. If I were to go and start working with uh, in physical rehab or geriatrics or the community, I would almost feel incompetent to start over in one of those areas. And I would definitely, if I went into one of those areas, I'd definitely reach out to some of the experts in those areas to get started. I think you and I are both uh, in the same position because I've worked with psychiatric uh, a population that me going to physical would not be the exact. I mean, you're right. We could figure it out through speaking to other RTs, but it wouldn't be my forte. Yeah. And through my program, I've allowed some other people to um, teach courses as well in areas that I'm not very proficient in, or in areas that I don't that I don't have much expertise and I, I encourage people or in areas that I do consider an expert because of course I don't know everything and I'm open to learning. Yeah. Don't we wish we all had all the information out there? <laughs> yeah, really? I was going to share with your program with interviewing rec therapists. It reminds me of an, of an inspirational quote by Jim Rowan. He said he was an inspirational speaker and he said, you're the average of the five people you spend the most time with. And if you spend most of your, you could take a student, you know, of course I work with children and let's say you got one student and their five best friends all make D's and F's. You can kind of average what that kid's um, grade is going to be. It's a, a like a reference group. So with rec therapists, I definitely think having a program like this to help connect them to um, higher level thinkers and they don't necessarily have to be rec therapists. It could be people outside of our field in other occupations. You're talking a lot about entrepreneurship I think, you know, pulling in an expert who in entrepreneurship would be a good idea to pull in ideas for rec therapy. 
or an expert in marketing. They have degrees in marketing. And I think if you reached out to rec therapists, I mean, if rec therapists reached out to people who are experts in marketing, it could really help the whole profession. You know, actually, yeah, you're right. Thank you for the feedback. I actually hadn't quite thought about that aspect of it, but you're right. Those are things that they'd be useful things to hear about and to learn about and trying to tailor the conversation so that it applies more specific to the RT field. One of the the other things that recently I had been, I don't know if you happen to catch it on one of the discussion boards, I think it may have been on Facebook, but how uh, some people are struggling to stay motivated in the field. Do you have any tips for people in, in order for them to stay motivated? I have read that, and that's a tough one. You know, for me, I have a lot of passion. I've stayed motivated. I will share that there was a time when I felt burnout, like right after I got my master's degree in rec therapy, I didn't feel like acknowledged as much. Of course, one thing that I did that helped me was continuing to learn and grow. I started taking some graduate courses in mental health counseling to help learn more about uh, things like dialectical behavior therapy and cognitive behavior therapy. And I ended up going on and getting a second degree. I also have a degree in mental health counseling. And I'm just thinking, like, if you're feeling a lack of motivation, I guess the opposite of motivation, like the opposite of lack is, you know, I'm not sure. That would be my best suggestion. And something you're you're already passionate about. Of course, I did mental health, but another rec therapist maybe. Maybe they love yoga or maybe they love deep sea diving. I don't know. They could, it doesn't have to be a, like an, those kind of educational programs, but just learn new skills to um, re-excite your life. That's about all I have on motivation. Okay. So I, the last question here would be what tips and tricks do you have for either students or new RTs entering the field? Definitely stay open-minded be open to moving if possible because a lot of times rec therapist positions like in your own college town those positions are filled because they have a college there and there's often a lot of positions open on the internet but they're often you know in distant places i want to say be open to that and i was i will share that when i did my internship i really thought i was going to work with geriatrics and work in a nursing home or a senior living center However, my first job was offered with children and pediatrics. I had no experience really working with kids. So I'm also going to say, even if you have an idea, be open. At first, I was a little apprehensive thinking about working with kids, but it turned out okay, and I've stayed with it because I enjoy it. So yes, be open to different opportunities out there and, and just be continuing to grow and learn and and do the best you can. I want to validate that I really think rec therapists out there at heart. They're really good people. They're doing great things. And that's about all I have to say on motivation. <laughs> Was that Forrest Gump-like? <laughs> a lot of it, though, it it's things that maybe we've heard before, but we sometimes need the reminder again. Yeah, I, I had a teenager just last week. I had interrupted her while she was talking. And of course, we've been working on social, like listening skills and being interested in others. 
And for her wrap up quote, she said, practice what you preach and not interrupt us, you know, in a very sarcastic tone. Of course, I validated her feelings that, you know, I get it. She was mad and I, I didn't do it on purpose. I was just being um, absent minded, I suppose. Yeah. <laughs> so, yes, for rec therapists, you know, practice what we preach. We already have the ideas of, you know, using activities to improve your life. Well, and on the on the flip side of that, if you aren't practicing what you preach, sometimes the other person can sense that. So you don't want to come off as not genuine, and you really want to be genuine when you're helping other people. And like you said, yeah, we have the skill set already. We have the way to process situations out. Now we all we have to do is apply as well. And I, I actually I wrote an article one time about how, you know, burnout can happen to us, and it does, it, it, it does happen. But we also have to remember that we have to uh, practice what we preach. Is there any other topics that you think would be uh, something you want other other RTs to know? Well, just a final thought. I really think rec therapy is becoming more well known as a household name, for lack of words, among other professions. I often read in scientific journals or just in the newspapers where, you know, these holistic clinics, they're offering something like horseback therapy or golfing as a therapeutic approach or meditation or yoga. And I really think the future is going to be on the side of rec therapy. Also, there was an article a few years back where rec therapy is ranked as the number one position to be least likely replaced by robots. (laughs) <laughs> you know, it's partially with that creative creativity and, you know, working with people. They even suggested maybe lawyers might be replaced by a robot someday. That might be way after I'm gone, but I'm just thinking, you know, the robots will be systematic. They know the law and you just input it and they'll just tell you what it is. Yeah. So that's, those are my final thoughts. I really think the future of rec therapy is going to be great. I think so, too. Well, uh, Danny, I want to thank you for taking the time uh, to essentially meet with me and interview with me and give us what your thoughts are on the RT profession, on what your experiences have been and all the tips that you've given anybody out there that's listening. Um, So I just wanted to thank you for that once again. Well, I want to say thanks for having me on your show. I think this is really great. I love what you're doing. I think you're doing a great thing here, not only as a rec therapist, but, you know, with your website and your Uh, interviews with rec therapists. I think that's going to be great. Well, there you have it, listeners. Thank you for stopping by. If you have any feedback, feel free to email us or check us out on Facebook. Other than that, rec play live out.